Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Stephen Perkins Program. I am Stephen Perkins, and I want to thank you oh so much for putting on the show today, wherever you are. If you're listening at the gym, congratulations for doing something with your life, more than I could say. If you're listening in the car on your way to work or school, you know, congrats for choosing me over Taylor Swift. I, it's a tough decision, I understand, putting on a podcast over T-Swift. If you're listening at home, you do you. You know, maybe you're having a lazy day. That's fine. You do you. You live your life. Uh, on today's show, we're talking about the Religious uh, Freedom Restoration Act that was just passed by Indiana and Arkansas. Uh, we're talking about the Iran deal, and we'll finish the show with a chat, just a little chat, just a little friendly chat about Hillary Clinton's uh, email controversy and, and the latest to come out of that. But first, I want to give some love to our partner on today's program, Octopod. Octopod is an incredible company that offers a line of portable charging solutions so your devices never, and I do say never, have to be without power again. Go to octo-pod.com slash outset to view their product line. That's octo-pod.com slash outset. So before we get into the news about Indiana and Arkansas, I, I, I want to talk a little bit, uh, just for a brief moment, just if I could just take a couple, couple of minutes out of your day, um, I want to talk about what we as conservatives need to do going into 2016, what we need to do to prepare ourselves uh, for this upcoming election. Now, so far we have Ted Cruz, only guy in. This month is going to be pretty busy. On the on the 7th, Rand Paul is expected to announce. On the 13th, um, who's announcing on third? On the 13th, uh, I, I think it, it's it's uh, Rubio. Ru yeah, Rubio is planning to announce on the 13th. Um, and, and, and then we're supposed to have some others um, throughout this month and next month. Um, uh, Jeb Bush is eventually going to make that announcement which oh i'm so excited for his announcement it's gonna be the greatest day ever when jeb bush decides that he wants to be our president uh we're gonna have carly uh carly's gonna enter the race soon i'm trying to think of uh ben carson for some reason he's gonna try to enter the race um you know so bottom line we have all these people who are now going to be entering the race in these next coming months as the summer uh, comes closer. There's going to be people entering the race. I want to talk about. Um, I want to. I think I'm going to make this a weekly thing. Just kind of, you know, week by week, certain things that we need to do on our side to prepare for this election uh, and 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 help us um, with a victory. Help us attain a victory because I don't know about you. I'm tired of losing. I'm tired of it. And a lot of people say, oh, well, well, we won the midterm. Okay, sure, we won, we won the midterm, but what has that done? What is What has that really done? What have we accomplished since then? I'm talking about the presidential election. I'm tired of losing it. Let's get back on track. So today I want to talk about the importance of cleaning our side of crazy people. May I introduce into the record um, latest... The, the latest comments from former representative from Minnesota, Michelle Bachman. This was a woman who ran for president only three years ago. On Tuesday, she compared President Obama to the German Wings co-pilot uh, accused of intentionally crashing the plane he was flying last week. 
She said, quote, with this Iran deal, Barack Obama is for the 300 million souls of the United States. Uh, what uh, Andreas Lubitz was for the 150 souls on the German wings flight, a deranged pilot flying his entire nation into the rocks. Um, that, that's what she said on her, on her Facebook page. She continued, after the fact, among the smoldering remains of American cities, the shocked survivors will ask, Why did he do it? If you don't understand what I mean by cleaning our sight of the crazy people, go back a couple of seconds and listen to me read those comments again. We're comparing, you know, we're, she's comparing the president to a pilot who committed suicide and killed 150 people in a plane crash. Now, if that's your idea of constructive criticism, then, then you know, you do your thing, but do us a favor and please do not rep do not claim that you're representing our side. I understand her sentiments. I understand where she was going with it. She believes that the president is is being destructive with the country. But this is what I believe. I believe that that there that with the limited amount of time that we have to make a point, we can do one or two things. We can talk about our message and our vision for the country. Or we can name call and, and, and bash the opposition for being liars, for being traitors, for being, you know, German wing co-pilots. We can say all these outrageous things, all these outlandish things in order to be relevant because we're no longer a representative. And so please, someone pay attention to me. Or we can say, you know what? I don't really care about the opposition. I care about our ideas. I care about what we're going to do to grow the party, to grow the movement, and get America on the right track. But here, here's the thing, and this is what it comes down to. And, there, and there's a lot of people. I went on a Twitter, um, went on a, a Twitter rant last night about this. Kind of a short rant. It could have been longer. Here's the thing. There are people who we collectively consider leaders within our movement. And I'm sorry, but they have the mental capacity of 14-year-olds. Some of them are actual 14-year-olds. That's the worst part. We have actual 14-year-olds who lack uh, experience, maturity, and any type of substantial message. And we're propping them up and saying, look. Look, they're young conservatives. Isn't that great? Yeah, well, they're young, stupid conservatives. So no, it's not. But we have these leaders, quote unquote, leaders in our movement. And all it does is embarrass people. All it, 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 it serves no constructive purpose to our movement. So when I say today, that we need to clear our sight of crazy people. I'm talking about the people who say things just to hear their own voice, who say things because they know, oh, if I say the right things and get enough people outraged, maybe I could have a, a book deal and maybe I can go on a speaking tour. We need to be very careful going into this next election and even beyond then with who we associate ourselves and our message with. If we allow these, these crazy, 
immature mental 14 year olds and or actual 14 year olds to control our movement and call themselves leaders, then we have no right to win. We have no right to win. And, you know, the, the, the fact is, we are in a very tough position. We're in a very tough position because um, branding is everything. And, and, and quite honestly, the left um, in, in, in the past 10, 15, 20 years has become such experts at the messaging and branding and manipulation that th that's why they're winning right now. So listen, let's support each other as conservatives. But we need to be very careful um, about propping up some of these crazy people. And I'm looking at you, Ted Cruz. What? Ted Cruz saying something crazy? It happens, believe it or not. It does. Now listen, I, I have no doubt that these people um, who I consider crazy, I have no doubt they love the country. I have no doubt that, th that they are sincere in their beliefs. I have no doubt that, um, that they just want to help. But what I'm saying is sometimes when people try to help, they do more damage than, than, than good. And that's not what we need right now. We need people who are going to go beyond the talking points. We need people who are, who are, going, to, um, who are going to talk about vision instead of name-calling people because... We have the mental capacity of 14-year-olds all of a sudden. And we're going we're gonna to call the president a butthead. So let's move on from that. So the first story of the day I want to talk about, Indiana and Arkansas. Um, it, nearly impossible for you to have not seen anything about these two states. Because it seems like the world is going mad right now. I mean, it, and, and I understand Twitter isn't the greatest indication of the condition of the world. But I like to think that uh, people on Twitter do represent uh, a, a pretty large um, proportion of, of, of the viewpoints out there. So um, this is a story that is everyone up, up, up in arms in, in these two states. I think it's probably the first time in a long time that, that you've ever heard about Indiana and Arkansas in the news. I mean, when's the last time you've heard about Indiana in the news? Indiana and now Arkansas have both passed on the state level bills that are called Religious Freedom and Restor or Religious Freedom Restoration Acts, also referred to as RFRA um, uh, laws. Now, the original RFRA law was passed. Just a backstory here was passed on the federal level in 1993 and signed into law by President Bill Clinton. The sponsor of the original bill was none other than Chuck Schumer in the House. On the Senate. Senator Kennedy, Ted Kennedy, uh, was the, 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 the sponsor of the Senate, uh, the, the act in the Senate, signed into law by President Bill Clinton, a pretty heavily um, Democrat-supported bill, wouldn't you say, when both of its sponsors in the legislature are Democrats and the president who signed into the law are Democrats, but that's not what I'm here to talk about. But, 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 but that backstory is very important. We'll come back to it in a second. But this bill essentially says that an individual can use as their defense in court their religious beliefs. Uh, for example, okay, uh, and th th there's a very nice infographic from the First Amendment Partnership, a great organization. 
and I'm just going to kind of, you know, read what they had in the infographic. Um, so as, essentially now when someone uses their religious beliefs in, course, in, in court as a defense, the court now has to go through the following test. The first question they have to ask is, does the individual have a sincere belief that is being burdened or obstructed substantially? Second question is, does the government have a very good reason, for example, you know, for the sake of the public health, public safety, etc., to step in and interfere? And third, third and finally, is there a reasonable alternative to serve the public interest? Is there, um, is there a, 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 a less, um, a, a, a less uh, interfering way that the government can step in? So, Let's just go over some scenarios because there's been a lot of different uh, hypotheticals thrown out by by people on both sides. But let's go through the scenarios that were in this infographic from the First Amendment Partnership. So scenario one, a guy gets arrested for feeding the homeless in a city where doing so is illegal because, because I mean, like, why would we feed the homeless? You know, that is possibly the dumbest idea ever. Like, just, you know, come on, why... Why would we do that? Why Why would a city, ugh, crazy. So he goes to court. He says that he fed the homeless because he believes as part of his faith that you have to help those in need. And I know a lot of people on the left are just going crazy because when would a Christian ever be a decent human being? Because we're all evil, right? Ugh. So, he, so does he have a sincere belief? Yes. You know, it, it, yeah, he has a sincere belief that through his faith you have to give people uh give people some help so he's feeding these people did the local government second second question does the government have a good reason did the local government have a good reason for the law yes uh you know maybe the local government probably said uh the ordinance was put in place around tourism areas because you know feeding the homeless in tour in, in, in tourist areas is problematic okay a good enough reason according to the courts i mean i, I think any any uh, any court would would say that's a that's a good reason Third question, is there a reasonable alternative? Was the government using the least restrictive means possible? And this is where the court would say, most likely, no, the local government uh, government's ordinance was too restrictive. And so in this scenario, the individual wins, and because of his uh, deeply held religious belief, he's able to, to feed the homeless. A win-win, right? Scenario two is that a city has uh, strict zoning laws and limits the areas where churches can be built. So a group of churches and clergy sue the city claiming their religious freedom is being violated. All right, let's go back to the first question. Does the individual have a sincere belief that is being uh, burdened or obstructed substantially? This case ends quickly. Do they have a sincere belief that is being infringed upon? No. The court decides that zoning laws do not place a substantial burden on their religious freedom. The churches, the clergy lose, um, and the, the city is is found uh, to be fine with their zoning laws. Because here's what it here's what it comes down to, and I think a lot of people do not understand this, and it's quite frustrating. Religious freedom restoration laws do not guarantee a victory in court, just as long as you know you claim. Oh, I have a religious belief. I, I used to watch a show, uh, Boston Legal. I, I don't know if you ever watch a show. Um, very good show, by the way. It had uh, James Spader and William Shatner. They played lawyers. 
And it seemed like on every episode, whenever they would have a, a, a murder case, it seemed like every single time, it wasn't the case, but it seemed like every single time they would just say, oh, well, let's just say that insanity is our, um, you know, temporary insanity. Let's just say that's our defense. And it seemed like every single time that they would claim temporary insanity, their client would end up getting off because, I mean, you know, how can you debate with that? So, so it, the same idea here. You know, just as much as, as claiming temporary insanity um, in a murder case doesn't always mean that you're going to get off and you can just go around murdering people as long as you can prove that you were a little insane at the time. Religious freedom laws do not guarantee victory in court for religion. So you can't say, well, I killed this guy because God told me to. The court's going to say, you're kind of weird. Uh, you know, you, you there there is certainly a limit here, and I think a lot of people don't understand that there is a limit. A lot of people are freaking out because they feel like this is just opening the door to rampant discrimination, and it's not. So let's get let's get to what the left has been saying about this specific Indiana law. The claim that they have is that businesses in Indiana will start refusing to serve same-sex couples, gay people, because you know people are. Because religious people are hateful and, and all the religious people hate gays. The attacks against the law are quite frankly ridiculous. Now, I, I've never been to Indiana. Um, I, I don't even think I know people from Indiana. Are people made in Indiana? Is, is that a thing? Are people born? Anyways, so I, I, I don't know people in Indiana. But from what I've heard, they're, they're lovely people. Um, probably not as lovely as Texas people because we 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 take the cake we take the cake. But what what I think is ridiculous is this notion that um, because of this law, every you know all, all these religious uh, or, or or Christian owned businesses in Indiana are gonna shut their doors to gay people and say no you can't come in because you're gay. It's ridiculous. On Wednesday. Let me just give you an example of, of the level of craziness that the left has when it comes to this law. On Wednesday, one pizza business who said they would refuse to cater a same-sex wedding became so under attack that they now don't know if they're going to be able to open again. And you might be asking, well, well what happened now? They become so under attack. Their Yelp page... Because, you know, in the age of, of the Twitterverse, where are we going to show our disagreement with an issue? Let's go to Yelp. On their Yelp page, it was bombarded with hateful reviews and photos, all because, all because they said, you know what? We wouldn't really feel comfortable catering a same-sex wedding. It doesn't mean that we're not going to serve gay people in our, in, our, in, our, in our business, in our restaurant. But when it comes to, you know, catering a wedding, we just don't feel comfortable. And people said, how dare you, how dare you have a deep-founded religious belief? How dare you refuse to cater pizza to a wedding? And let me just say, let's be clear. Who the hell has pizza at their wedding? Okay, can we, can we just ask ourselves that question right now? Who is catering pizza to their wedding reception? What gay couple says you know what, what would really be fabulous at our wedding is is if we had just like a dozen a, a dozen large pepperoni pizzas 
that would be just really that'd be really great that would make the day special no one says that so so this idea you know this idea is ridiculous and and and, and it always is it's always this ridiculous premise that they start out with oh well this pizzeria is gonna blah, blah, blah. but here's the other question why do they not have that right what if it was and and i know this is this is getting talking pointish when I'm about to say, but it's important. What if what if a Jewish baker, what if a Jewish baker or a Jewish pizza maker? Let's go with that one, just since we're since we're talking about pizza and I'm starting to get hungry. What if what if a Jewish pizza uh, pizza maker was asked to provide pizzas for the local for the local uh, neo-Nazi meeting? Oh, hey, Jewish baker, do you mind catering some pizzas to our neo-Nazi uh, meeting? Opponents of the Indiana law would say, sorry, Jewish baker, you got to do it. Because even though, you know, even though that kind of goes against your thing, eh, you got to do it. Really? Is that what we're going to do now? Is that what it's come to? Why is it so wrong for a privately owned business owned by a private sovereign individual to say, I don't feel comfortable. I, I just don't feel comfortable giving my services to this group of people because I believe that that would go against my religious beliefs. And what this boils down to at the very basic level, what this boils down to is the the overall the larger movement to remove religion from everyday life first it was let's remove religion from the government and and so far they've done very well in that and now it's let's remove religion from every single aspect of society now listen i i am uh you know i I'm, I'm not someone who I'm not as religious as, as some people are. And if, if you're ultra religious, cool, cool. I, I don't care. Like you do your thing. I'm going to do my thing and we'll get along. Okay. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. But the idea that people can no longer be free to exercise their religion in this country in particular is astounding in the idea that we are going to now prosecute businesses that refuse to offer services to people who they believe um, will go against their religious beliefs is absolutely sad and depressing. Let's talk about more of the background of this law. Bill Clinton defended this law in 1993 when he signed it on the lawn of the White House by saying that it would require the government to present the highest level of proof against an individual before trying to prosecute them for violating the law. In other words, it doesn't mean that the government cannot prosecute them. It just means that the proof needs to be substantial. God forbid we have substantial proof. Since then, 19 other states have similar laws and no one is complaining. And let's talk about the people who are complaining. CEOs, Silicon Valley types, including Apple's Tim Cook, 
said the law was that, that he was disappointed in the law. That no matter what the law in Indiana is, Apple is open to business for everyone. Well, Tim Cook, that is the very purpose of the law. You are not being forced to close your doors to gay people. And neither is any business in Indiana or, or Arkansas. This is not a bill about legalizing discrimination. That's not at all what it's about. But if you want to go down that road, Tim Cook, if you want to go down that road saying that, that this law is disappointing, let's talk about Apple's business practices in other countries. Let's talk about Tim Cook is gay. He's a gay CEO, and that's fine. But whenever he comes out and says that the Indiana law and the Arkansas law is disappointing, he needs to look at his own company and see what their business practices, if they line up with his belief that they're open for everyone, because Apple does business in the Middle East. And in the Middle East, in many Middle Eastern countries, being gay is punishable by death. And yet you never hear one word from Tim Cook speaking out against Middle Eastern laws regarding homosexuality. In some countries, gays are beheaded. And all we're saying in Indiana is if you're a Christian pizza maker, you don't have to cater a gay wedding. If you're a Christian baker, you don't have to bake a cake for a gay wedding. And apparently to Tim Cook, not being able to get a, a, a cake or a pizza for your gay wedding is much more of an important issue than, than going to the Middle East and being killed because you're gay. Now, if that's, not if that's not an example of messed up priorities, I don't know what is. This law does not make state-sponsored discrimination legal. Another criticism is that this law is essentially Jim Crow laws. Let me tell you the difference between this Indiana law and Jim Crow laws. The Indiana law says that a private individual can make these decisions. Jim Crow was about state-sponsored discrimination. This, the, the Jim Crow laws was about the state helping other state agencies and corporations in their quest to discriminate against blacks. That is not what this law is about. It's not about discrimination. It is about allowing people in the state courts to present their religious beliefs as a defense. It's as simple as that. It's about allowing individuals the liberty to refuse service to another individual. This is about two individuals this is, has nothing to do with the state, which is why this bill is so, so, so legal. Which is why this bill has not been challenged substantially at the Supreme Court. Because the fact is, is it is right and it works and it's common sense. And everyone who's freaking out about it, I recommend that you really read up about it. And, and here's another thing. Whenever you're looking for uh, to form an opinion on this, don't go to Twitter. Go to some reputable places and let's let you know what? Let's have a conversation about this. I agree with Glenn Beck last last week. I 
I, uh, I, I attack Glenn Beck for, for saying that he's leaving the GOP, but you know, he, he made the very uh, simple case that you can be for same-sex marriage and also for religious liberty. At the end of the day, this is all about, let me, let me tell you this, at the end of the day, this is all about us living together and respecting each other's views. Now, I'm a Christian. In my church, um, in, in my faith, if you're gay, uh, you, you can't get married in the church. There are some church. I think the Presbyterian Church, uh, if I remember correctly, is 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 now allowing it um, on some fronts. But in my church, you cannot get married if you're gay. However, I have no issue with same-sex marriage. If, if, if you want to get married, you do your thing. I mean, you. I don't think that it's a contract. I, I don't think that marriage should be a contract between individuals and a government. Marriage is a contract. If, if you're religious, then marriage is about... Um, if you're religious, then marriage is a contract between you, your spouse, and God. If you're not religious, then it's about... You know, it, it's it's between you and your spouse and and whatever else you want to include in that. The government doesn't have to be involved in it. So so do do I do I care about same sex marriage? No. Do your thing. I don't think the government should be involved at all. The answer is less government, not more government. But I'm also pro religious freedom. Because at the end of the day, each group has to be able to practice what they believe. If gay people want to get married, let them do it. If churches want to refuse to marry gay people, let them do it. If a Christian baker wants to refuse to, to bake a cake for a gay wedding, let them do it. Don't act as if there's only one bakery in the entire state of Indiana. I'm pretty damn sure that you can find another one. I'm pretty sure you can find another pizza maker that will that, that will bake pizzas for what I'm sure will be a crappy reception. Because really, who has pizzas at a reception? I think you're doing it wrong. Although, send me an invite. I'm, I'm always down to eat free pizza. This is about individual liberty. This is about allowing people to live the life they want to live. And that is why I support... Uh, the bill that was passed in Indiana and Arkansas. I think I, I, I agree with the governor and the state legislator that maybe there are some amendments that, that need to be put into this bill to clarify even further what the bill is really about. But at the very basic uh, level, I support the bill. It makes sense. It's the right thing to do. All right, now I, I, I just want to move, uh, before we go into our last two stories, I want to uh, say real quick uh, from our, our partner on this week's episode, uh, and that is Octopod. Let's face it, our lives now revolve around our devices, whether it's your phone or your tablet. You know that feeling when your battery gets low and it's like you're about to be cut off from the world. It is one of the worst feelings ever. Well, worry no more because Octopods is to the rescue. Octopods uh, are these amazing mobile charging solutions that will keep your devices charged throughout the day so you never have to worry about missing anything. If you go to octo-pod.com outset, you can browse their line of mobile charging solutions. That's octo-pod slash outset, O-U-T-S-E-T. Never run out of power again. Just go to octo-pod.com slash outset. 
All right, so I want to get into the um, into this uh, this Iran Iran negotiation because I I think it's really troubling where the uh, where the United States representatives are going. I, I think the Obama administration um, and, uh, and 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 Secretary of State Kerry are uh, approaching a very um, a, a very troublesome um, area. And I just want to kind of update you on the latest. I haven't talked about the Iran deal. I talk, I think I talked about it briefly last week, just saying that we were making a mistake. Um, but essentially where it is today is, is March 31st was the, um, not very set in stone, but it was the, the unofficial deadline for these talks to end. And the idea um, was that we would have uh, some sort of deal by then, of course, um, people in the legislature, but mainly Republicans, um, have said that that they are concerned that uh, that the the Obama administration is trying to bypass Congress by uh, negotiating a deal and then not getting congressional approval, which of course is required. Um, and now Secretary Kerry is still there working um, with the Iranians trying to get a deal going. And what this all comes down to is nuclear capabilities. Iran wants the ability to enrich uranium. And in their words, they want to have nuclear power, which is interesting that one of the top one of one of the top exporters and producers of oil is saying, oh, no, we just want to have nuclear power. We just want to be able to to turn our lights on with nuclear power. Yeah, for some reason, Iran, to me, doesn't seem like they're all, you know, eco-green. Oh, no, we're just trying to save the Earth. You're the you're one of the largest producers of oil. You're one of the largest exporters of oil. You're one of the largest, uh, you know, it's ridiculous that 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 they that they are saying, oh, no, we just we just want to enrich uranium because, you know, we want to have power. Any moron that believes that. Um, needs serious mental health or serious mental help. This, at the very core, is about us trusting an enemy. Secretary Kerry, President Obama, wants the American people to trust the fact that we are negotiating with someone who I consider an enemy. And I think most most level-headed people, you know, if, if you don't at least consider them, them then if you do not... <laughs> I can't talk today. If you do not consider them an enemy, then you at least consider them a threat. I mean, Iran is not our best friend. It's not like Iran is the UK and we don't have to worry about them. And every time we go over there, they just offer us tea and we have gossip talk. Iran is a serious threat. And now we're saying that we're going to negotiate with Iran, which, you know, isn't out of the ordinary for this president. He, this is a president who negotiates with terrorists and releases um, their people so we can get one deserter back. Uh, this is a president who, uh, who who goes around the world on a U.S. apology tour because we've been so mean to other countries. And so now we're negotiating with Iran because, um, because essentially this is what I think it boils down to. I think Kerry, uh, he wants his Nobel Peace Prize. I think that he wants his Nobel Peace Prize. And, uh, and, you know, he, he's heard that nowadays they just give out Nobel Peace Prizes for anything. I mean, after all, President Obama got a Nobel Peace Prize before he was even elected president for, for doing nothing. And since then, he has started new wars and he has relentlessly bombed countries that we are making no progress in. But guys, it's okay because he has a Nobel Peace Prize. So, like, 
you know, he's cool. Don't worry about it. I think Kerry is eyeing the Nobel Peace Prize. He's trying to think of what his legacy is going to be in these last two years of President Obama's um, uh, term. And so he's uh, he's eyeing this Nobel Peace Prize. And and he's saying, well, if, if they're going to give him out to um, a senator for 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 just saying that he wants peace in the world, but actually bombing countries once he becomes president, then why not, you know, why not give me a Nobel Peace Prize for allowing Iran to get nuclear weapons? And and, and make no mistake about it, this is, this, if, if this deal goes according uh, to the plan that Iran has for it, they will be producing nuclear weapons within the next 10 years. And it's as simple as that. They will be producing nuclear weapons within the next 10 years. And the State Department doesn't seem concerned about this because according to President Obama, and, and you know, President Obama has always had this idea that America should not have um, America, uh, American, um, the American government should not dictate what other countries can and cannot do, which to a certain point, I agree with him. I, you know, I think America's uh, overreach in the world has been um has been troublesome and, and I agree with his notion that we have to stop telling nations what to do but when it comes down to it this is about if President Obama really wants to be worthy of that Nobel Peace Prize that he was awarded this is about securing peace not just in the Middle East but in the entire world and Iran with nuclear weapons is a real danger and a real threat and to think that, oh, they're just using, they're just going to use uranium for power is ridiculous. And so there's some people say, okay, well, well, you know, what really, what's the big deal? Let's just, let's let them have nukes and, you know, they're not going to do anything. That's also a very stupid thought. Because to say that Iran, someone as, as unstable as Iran would not do anything with nuclear weapons. They just want them there because, you know, just to to look at. They just want nuclear weapons to look at and say, oh my God, look, look what we did. That is an insanely moronic idea. Iran is out for blood. Iran and leaders in Iran have threatened Israel. Someone who uh, they're very close to. Look at a map. Let's look at the uh, let's look at the uh, geography. Iranian leaders have said that Israel needs to to be wiped off the face of the earth. Even further, you might say, "Oh, why do we always have to worry about Israel?" Fine. Here's one. Iran I, I, Iranian leaders also say that the United States has to be wiped off the face of the earth. <gasps> Are we concerned yet? Are we concerned that maybe they might use nuclear weapons to do just that? It's absolutely uh, troubling um, the links that Secretary of State John Kerry is going to to get Iran a deal that that they can agree to. And let me tell you, and, and I'm not a, I'm not an expert negotiator. I mean, I've I've negotiated some car prices in my life, but I'm not going to say that I'm an expert in, in negotiating with Iran. But what John Kerry needs to do and what the Obama administration needs to do, and they say they say that they are prepared to do this, but what they need to they need to actually do it. What they need to do is walk away. They need to walk away from the negotiation table and say, you know what, guys, we're not playing this game. We're really we're just not going to do it. It's ridiculous. Talking about playing games, let's talk about Hillary Clinton. 
one of the, the biggest losers in politics today. And I want to talk about her recent, uh, the, the recent revelation that Miss Clinton, not only did she delete the personal emails from her uh, private email server, but I, I, I believe it was Friday, Trey Gowdy's uh, house committee, that was uh, the deadline for her to um, to give them any any additional relevant documents, including emails. They specifically subpoenaed her emails, and her attorneys came out recently and said, "Oh yeah, you know those emails that y'all are looking for? Well, actually, you know, we originally said that Hillary just deleted the personal ones. Yeah, we're now happy to report that she actually deleted all of them." Every single email, not just the personal ones, not just the ones about yoga, not just the ones about, you know, between Bill and her, every single email. Now, let me tell you, I, I am uh, I'm a big believer that you cannot be found guilty um, until evidence is presented, right? You're, you're, it's not that it's not that you're guilty until proved innocent. You're innocent until proved guilty. So right now, you know Hillary Clinton, for the most part, is is presumably innocent. But the fact is, is that there has to be evidence available so we can make that determination. And and I mean we, um, I, I mean the the federal government. So the investigative committee can uh, launch this investigation and 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 make. Um, and make the case as to why she is guilty if, if they find enough evidence. But the last I checked, destroying evidence is against the law. Destroying emails as a federal employee is against the law. Lois Lerner came under fire for this very thing. Of course, she's not going to be prosecuted because, after all, even though we have federal regulations and federal laws, doesn't mean that if you break them, you're going to get in jail. This is what it comes down to with the whole Hillary Clinton scandal. A lot of people are saying, you know, why is this such a big deal? Like, okay, there's some emails that she had. Just shut up about it. It's a big deal because it comes down to a couple of things. It comes down to transparency. The Democrats claim, President Obama claims that he's the most transparent, he's going to have the most transparent administration in history. Well, when he says that he's going to have the most transparent administration, he's not just talking about the White House, he's talking about all the executive administrations, including the Department of State. So already, that claim, false. He has not had the most transparent administration in history because the most transparent administration would not have emails on a private server and then destroy all of those emails. This is also about obstructing an investigation. There is a very real, very important investigation going on to finally, to finally understand what happened in Benghazi. I know a lot of people are saying, can we just move on past the Benghazi thing? Because I mean, after all, only, only four Americans died. And I realize that, that, that some people are cowards and, and, and they don't want to investigate it because they know very well. They know very well that if there's an investigation into Benghazi, Hillary Clinton uh, and her chances at the presidency are screwed. But what it comes down to is she's obstructing an investigation she is going against this whole claim of increased transparency. 
This is about her keeping things as, as, a, as her time as a public servant, keeping things from the American people, keeping things secret that, quite frankly, we should know about. We have laws and we have federal guidelines in place for a reason. Using personal email is not a bad thing. Everyone does it, and it's okay if you use, you know, if Hillary Clinton had a personal email address, that's fine. But when it comes to your job as Secretary of State, you have to follow federal guidelines. Let me tell you what it, let me tell you what this um, what this can be paralleled to. This is all about leadership. This is all about real leadership and real leadership and real leaders is about leading by example. Real leaders lead by example. Real leaders follow the rules and the laws even if they disagree with them. So if Hillary Clinton was such a real leader, if she's such a bold leader that the left claims she is, she would have shown a little more responsibility and maturity here. She would have followed the laws. Do I think that this means that she can that she should no longer be able to to become president? Absolutely. Because at the end of the day, she she is not the leader we need. She is not transparent. She does not believe in following the rules. She believes in forcing rules on other people, but she will not follow them herself. And this is something the Clintons have been doing since Bill Clinton first entered politics. They don't care about the laws. They really don't. Well, before we go today, I, I want to uh, just remind you a, a couple of things. Uh, up on OutsetMagazine.com, you can read the profile on Arizona State Senator Kelly Ward. She is thinking about challenging John McCain in 2016 for his Senate seat that he's been in for ever. Uh, and, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. Josh DeFord did an incredible job writing it. I really want to give props to him um, and... Uh, and uh, please go there, uh, read it, share it, do whatever you got to do. Also, Outset and Red Millennial. I don't, I don't know if you were able to join the Hangout last Saturday when we talked about Ted Cruz, but it was a, a really great um, a, a really great web show. And this Saturday, again at 12 p.m. Eastern, we will be talking this week about Rand Paul, who, uh, like I said, is, is expected to announce um, on the 7th. So we'll be talking about his candidacy a couple of, of days early. I also want to encourage you to go check out Second Look with Benjamin Green. You can find him on OutsetMagazine.com. You can find him on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spreaker, on... Uh, I think that's it for right now. <laughs> Those are the main ones uh, coming to coming to iHeartRadio soon, I'm sure, along with this program. If you want to uh, help us out and uh, go on iTunes, you can now find this program on iTunes. Uh, give us a rating. Give us a review. And, you know, just let us know how you're liking the show. And as always, you can follow us on Twitter at Outset Magazine. You can go to Facebook and uh, find us uh, as Outset. You can follow me on Twitter at Stephen underscore Perkins, Facebook.com slash Stephen Perkins. And until we speak again next week, take care and have a good one.